Also, give a shout out to Tricky, who could not be. You know, Tricky is job. His job must be a lot more boring these days, since he's you know just in an office and not necessarily in a truck anymore. So that that's got to kill him, you know. Yeah, I, I I think I'd much rather be out and about. But also, the streets are probably safer with Sony in, or with Tricky in an office. So give and take. Uh, can't can't argue that give either. And take the joke that will never die, ladies and gentlemen. No, can't can't roll that up in a snowplow. Can't pour salt on that one. No, it's not going to melt no. away. You are listening to Trophy Horse with your host, Tricky Mick, Alex, I yield to no one, Steve, and Sid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trophy Horse. This is episode 511, and I am your host this week because Tricky had to work doing all the uh, the crazy stuff that sanita- New York uh, Department of Sanitation has to deal with right now up there in the, the blistery cold north. But I got with me, I yield to no one, and yield, we got a pre- we don't have a lot of topics this week, but we have one big topic that I think the, the entire industry has been talking about. Yeah, it's been kind of the buzz this week. And of course, what we're talking about is Sony buying Bungie. Uh, we'll get to all of that. But first, you know, we got, we've got we been playing some games and we got a, a trophy update and all that. Uh, of course, a heads up, Yield will not be here next week because his Bengals are in the uh, Super Bowl. We'll be playing the St. Louis Rams in the Super Bowl. L- L- L.A. Rams. Oh, that's right. The L.A. Rams. I, I growing up for, you know, with the NFL the way it was the way it was for so long. I'm just so used to calling them the, the LA Rams. No, I mean, th- that's where they should be, is St. Louis, because I kind of liked them there, but... Well, let me ask you, have you stocked up on champagne just for, you know, just in case... I mean, it's, it's 50-50, so just in case they win, you all can, can fully celebrate and then maybe call in the next day? Is there is there any chance you call in to work the next day? Well, well I'm, I'm, I'm going to think over... Probably Monday, Tuesday, about putting in for Monday off, no matter what. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've been kind of, I, I haven't overly celebrated other than right after the win. So I'll probably do the same thing. I got a buddy who wants me to come over and watch Super Bowl with him. So I'll probably go over to his house and sit there and watch the game and, and if they win, I'll be extremely happy. And if they don't, you know, hey, we weren't even supposed to be there. So, I mean, I'll be disappointed, but. Yeah, I was going to say, like, for, for a Bengals fan, a longtime Bengals fan who has suffered through the 30 past seasons without getting past the wild card. Are you kind of, I mean, you, like you said, you're going to be disappointed, but are, are you going to be just, are, are you at the point now where it's like, hey, this is a really good season and I'll be proud of them no matter what even if you are disappointed that they don't win it after they beat the raiders in the wild card round i was kind of like you know what i'm just alone for the ride now because you know we really i wasn't expecting us to be here so you know we won the first playoff game got that monkey off our back you know for not having a win in one in 30 years and now i'm just enjoying the ride 
Yeah, and I, I come from the land of the University of Kentucky. That was my that's my alma mater. Where when UK won championships, we burned couches. I wouldn't necessarily suggest that you celebrate that way, yield. But do you have any like how are you going to celebrate if the the Bengals win the uh, the Super Bowl? I'm I'm trying to al- not allow myself to think about that. Fair. I mean, I, I get it. Don't don't get your hopes up. I, yeah. I will say that also maybe maybe taking off Monday would be the best because you know I don't know. Do you do you really want to go to work if you're kind of disappointed about the Super Bowl? Are you are you going to want to be around a bunch of people and deal with a bunch of bullshit, or you want to be kind of like in your own space and be like, all right, I'm I'm gonna you know recover Decompress. from this. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I, well, that's what the champagne is for. You either drink away your sorrows or you drink to celebrate. Drink to celebrate. Yeah. So I you know I I don't know. I'm I'm trying to kind of keep myself the way it's been kind of superstitious the way it's been all playoffs. Just going to watch the game and hope for the best. And probably sit on the edge of my seat. I probably won't use up the whole chair. I'll probably be using the edge of it. Are you, I mean, Homer's not a a, a Bengals fan, but, because he's a Giants fan, but he's are you Giants all going to be watching the game together or is he? No, he'll probably be down at his place. I'll be at a buddy's house, uh, like 15 minutes away. I'll probably be watching it at his house. Cause, and, and, and he's a Packers fan, but. Um, I, I know my brother's rooting for Cincinnati and I'm sure he is too, because like of the local teams, I've used that in quotations in the NFL, Cincinnati is like his team he roots for locally, but he's a Packers fan. Like, like we went to the Packers Bengal game earlier this year. So he was all rooting, you know, needless to say all rooting for the Packers. We move away from games on the gridiron to the games that we play on our consoles, our PCs. We stream, we play locally. Let's hit you up with our updated trophy count before we move into what we've been playing. Start with Tricky. Tricky is level 680 with a total trophy count of 16,497 and a platinum count of 371. I am level 454. Total trophy count of 7,805 with a platinum count of 120 and 119 games. Yield. Uh, level 468 with a trophy count of 8,235. And a platinum count of 148. I got a new one this week. And you can talk about a little bit more once we get into what we've been playing. But would you like to just announce the name of that game now? I got uh, Kingdoms of Amalar Reckoning. And it seems like it, that one was a uh, one that took you quite a bit of time to do. Because I know that's kind of a sprawling game. So. Uh, the, at last check... I'd have to. I didn't look at it after I finished it, but I was at 110 hours. I was going to say the PlayStation app that'll, uh, I believe, tell you how much time. Well, no, that was the wrap up, the PlayStation wrap up for last year, where it showed me how many hours that I was I had played certain games. But I wonder if the PlayStation app would do that too. Like no, it, it it doesn't. It doesn't tell you. Well, I guess all that information is in the hands of Sony. That, that would be interesting if it was. Like I said, the last time I did a manual save, which was, oh, shortly after I got into the last ses- session, I was at like 109. So I'd probably say I'm at least at 115 hours, 115 to 120. But of course, like, of course, like I was telling somebody else I was talking to about the game, I, I just didn't go through and do the story missions. I did all my tasks. Well... All the tasks that could be completed. Some of them were like, you completed it, and then you could keep doing it again to earn money. You know, you really didn't get any more experience other than your first time. 
So I did them the first time, got my experience. I did all, I did all the side missions that I could find. Now, and I may have been missing, you know, one or two here or there because I didn't walk into a cave or something. I did all the side missions I could find. I did all my faction missions. I did all the main quest missions. So yeah, it's, it's quite an, invo- an involved game. All right, well, we'll let you expound upon what you've been playing here after we get to Sid. Sid is level 457 with a total total trophy count of 11,257 and a platinum count of 214. Nice even number there, Sid. I like it. I like it. All right, Yield. So you talked about Kingdoms of Amalur. You're you know welcome to expound upon that if you will. But what else have you been playing in this past week? So, um... Rocket League on Thursdays and Deep Rock Galactic has been really all I've been playing. Um, played a lot of Kingdoms this week. Like I said, finished it out right before we were recording. As a matter of fact, I think I popped the Platinum at 648. And we're supposed to start at 7. So, so yeah, got it done just before we recorded. Um, it's a really good game. The only thing I didn't do was there is a lot of story. Whereas, I mean, you can, there's a lot of NPCs and you can walk up to them and be like, Hey, how's it going? And then there's a list of different things that you can ask them about. So at first I was doing that, you know, okay, Hey, tell me, you know, tell me about this region. Tell me about this person, you know, whatever they were giving me the option to ask them. And I started to find out that, you know, they were kind of telling me the same thing. Maybe give me a little bit of extra information here or there. After about the first couple of towns, I'm like, you know what? This is taking forever. Just give me give me the information I need to know about my mission. Okay, we're out. So I didn't go through all the the I guess you would say talking options that were available. I just hit the main stuff. And let's keep this train rolling. So by the way, it was a good game. I liked it. Um, definitely not games that I normally play, but it was fun. Took a little getting into at first. At first, I was like, oh, the demo was so much more fun. I don't understand why this seems so slow. And then the ball finally got rolling after a little bit. So now that you've finished that, what are you going to be playing concurrently with, you know, your Rocket League, your Deep Go- Deep Rock Galactic Fridays? What What's the next game that you're looking to get that platinum in? Well, I have to, uh, I got to find a splitter. HDMI splitter that'll work with my TV so I can get the five hooked up and I'll probably dive into Astro's Playroom. You'll get you'll get that one in a couple days at, at the very at the most. Be, be, because everybody says that's what you should start with because Horizon comes out in a couple of weeks. Um Well I mean it even despite Horizon, that's I mean, that is the perfect introduction to the PlayStation 5, so you absolutely should. And to be honest, you could probably get Astro and Ratchet and Clank before horizon comes out i mean we got 12 days uh well 12 days from today before horizon comes out but i I could see you getting both of those you know a couple days for astro and then maybe a week week and a half for ratchet and clank so i mean you could definitely pull off both those so i would i'd probably say those two um need to get back into i've been working on i need to get back into sniper elite three Need to work with Nitro. Him and I were working for the trophy for playing the campaign co-op. So we need to jump back into that. I need to jump back into uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands. 
I enjoy that game. I just took a break because it was one of those games that was, it's, it's really massive. And so I play for a while and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go play something else. I still have a three game. I did, I need to work on Transformers. So that might be another game that I work on on the side. That's why I need to get a splitter because my HDMIs are full in the back and I don't really want to unplug my three yet. So I need another spot to plug in my five. So I got to do a little research there because I tried once before and I couldn't get the splitters I bought didn't work or wouldn't work. So anyway, but yeah, probably a, a, a gambit of Sniper Elite 3, Ghost Recon Wildlands, probably still mess, messing around with Deep Rock because I am, uh, you know, still earning trophies moving along in that. And of course we got our Rocket Leagues. And uh, like I said, I'm going to try and get my five hooked up by the end of the week. And probably start messing around with Astro's Playroom and Ratchet and Clank. Most excellent. And I have been kind of closing in on the Platinum Trophy to Hot Wheels Unleashed. Giving you guys most of my thoughts. But what I will do is just kind of give a couple closing thoughts here. Things I haven't mentioned before. But one thing the game does really well is is it makes it gives you that, that very good sense of scale. Where it makes you actually feel like you're racing a tiny car in a much larger environment. Whether it be a garage. A skate park, and when I say garage, I mean like an auto garage where you know you take your car to be worked on. You know your basement, a skyscraper. They they do a really good job with a sense of scale, so that you you know you actually feel like you're racing a tiny car on all these tracks. One of the big negatives coming out of the game that I've kind of picked up on, and it honestly it doesn't take a lot to pick up on this. It's kind of you know it kind of slaps you in the face. They are monetizing the shit out of this game, so there are going to be three passes, three essentially. Season passes, Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. Volume 2 comes out this month, and then Volume 3 will come out in June. The first volume, I looked on the Xbox Game Store or on Microsoft's website to see how much it costs on Xbox, and I looked at Epic Game Store, and I found that the Volume 1 pass on those, which is you know going to be the same as it's going to cost on the PlayStation Network, is $30. Beyond that, within, within that, you don't get access... That gets you quite a bit of stuff, but it doesn't get you access to the SpongeBob racing season, which is currently going on now, which gets you the extra cars and everything, and access to like a a battle uh, or a um, Rocket League style. Um, oh, what's the pass called? You, yeah, I can't. Season pass. The season pass, where you have like a racing season and you earn rewards and stuff, you know, that you can use in game. That is, you know, six dollars, and then they have a couple other packs with two cars in them each. Each pack has two cars, and it costs a dollar ninety nine. Now, I mean, the recent season for SpongeBob is, you know, pretty well priced. You get five cars plus, you know, other stuff for customization in-game, and it's $6. I mean, I think that's fair. And in each of the battle, the, the car packs, there's two cars per pack, and they're $2, essentially, which also seems fair. But when you factor in the price of the $30 for the Volume 1 Pass itself, the fact that that stuff isn't included in that is a little egregious, because when you figure all of it up, you're essentially paying, you know, $42, maybe a little more, for all of this. If you're trying to get all this content in, you know, that they put out so far, that's almost, you know, you're getting too close to the price of another game. And I'll remind you guys, you have to pay to buy this game. It's not a free-to-play game. You have to you have to buy Hot Wheels Unleashed. So that is, I mean, I got it for a really good price, but again, it seems to me like 
they are over monetizing this game. I realize they're dealing with some expensive licenses here, you know, from Nickelodeon and and you know Barbie and you know Peanuts and all this other stuff. But yield, I mean, you haven't played the game yet, but to me that seems like like over monetization. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, I'm not surprised. You know, when they started mentioning all these gears, and it is a Hot Wheel or gears. They started mentioning all these licensing, all these different cars, you know, and and it is Hot Wheels. So, you know, I, I'm i not surprised that they're, you know, hey, here's this really cool pack, and, but it's not going to be, you know, the simple, you know, couple dollars, not couple, yeah, couple dollars pack that it, it's going to be a fair amount and they're, you know, uh, strike why the iron's hot, so to speak, that there are going to be a lot of them. Yeah, and like with, you know, within each volume, they're releasing content, they're staggering content, so it's not just a big content drop. You only gain access to part of it, and then as, you know, the time goes on, you'll get access to more and more of the content as they drop it. But I just feel like if you're asking people to pay $30 for a volume pass, everything released in between that and the other volumes should be part of it. I mean, $30 is a lot, so... Yeah, to, to kind of pick and choose what you're getting is kind of it feels kind of chinksy. So, yeah, that's I mean that's that's kind of probably my my biggest complaint about the game is they're just they're nickeling and diming diming to death, and they're not really hiding it. It's if you want to get all the cars in the game and everything they release for extra content. Now, there's perfectly good, you know, as like I said on last week's episode or maybe the prior week's episode, it's not like you have to buy the DLC cars to have the best cars possible. That's not the case. But if you, I mean, you're playing a Hot Wheels game to collect all the cars. So if you actually want to collect them all, it's going to cost you. So that's what I want to caution people about is that, like I said, they're, they're monetizing this game very heavily. So just if you're going to buy the game, be forewarned about that. Yield, I had mentioned to you that, the, well, I've talked about it on the show, but I got further into Star Wars The Force, not The Force Unleashed, good lord. Which, that, which, which that's a good game too. Yeah. Yeah. I had never played number two, but I played the first one. The first one had some problems. But, you know, there there was a lot of fun to be had with Starkiller in the uh, the playground that was that Star Wars, in the, in the playground that was the Star Wars, Star Wars universe. But, so I've stepped further into Jedi Fallen Order, and I'm, you know, swimming in the deep end now. I'm not just kind of hanging out in the uh, the shallow end of the pool. And, you know, I like the game quite a bit, Yield. And, I'll, you know, I'll get your, get your thoughts because you have platinum the game, you've beaten the game. But they do a lot of, like, really small things really, really well. Like, just for instance, when you're traveling on the Mantis, the Mantis is your, your ship and, you know, you got a little crew on there, friends you, you or people you've befriended, uh, kind of freedom fighters that you're battling against the, the oppression of the Empire. And uh, so on the Mantis, whenever you're traveling between planets, they, you know, you go use the hyperdrive to go into hyperspace, go light speed, or I guess I should say faster than light speed. And the animation, it's very seamless where you're like looking out the window and all of a sudden it's like, you know, you would go to hyperspace in the movies. Like the the stars start to elongate until you get to this white blur and then boom, you're into that little vortex tunnel where it's like, you know, shades of blue and white. And it's super cool and it's seamless. You know, it just it's one of these cool things where it's like whenever I'm getting ready to go to hyperspace, I mean, yeah, you've got to sit. You have to sit in the captain's chair uh, at the front of the ship in order to make everything go or to actually, you know, proceed to the next planet. But even if that wasn't a thing, I would sit there and watch just go to hyperspace every time because it is a really cool tra- uh, tra- uh, transition. I would say, what did you? Oh, I I did the same thing. Did, did you did you look down and at your feet because you kind of had like a see through floor, 
I, I, I would do all that. And even when they'd be like, hey, we're at the planet, I'd be like, yeah, I'm enjoying zipping through hyperspace. So we'll, we'll, we'll hit okay here shortly. Yeah, that's one of the little things they do. And then one of the other, like the, the lightsaber customization. I mean, you can customize BD-1, who's your little droid pal, and you can also customize the Mantis. You can also customize Cal and his outfit. The coolest thing, though, was the ability to customize your lightsaber. You know, the switch, the the um, the handle, the lightsaber color. You can, you know, pick from all the different color, color lightsaber crystals. And I, you know, so right away I had like an orange lightsaber, which was super cool. Like I've like, I love Mace Windy's purple lightsaber, but for me, I feel like the orange one is just the way to go personally. So if you were like, oh man, you know, green and blue, like I like those colors, but they're kind of try, like they're kind of like played out as far as Star Wars goes. Cause it seems like, you know, most Jedis either have a blue or a green one. I want a little more flavor to my lightsaber. Boom. You have customization options and quite a few customiza- uh, customization options too. So that was a really cool thing. Like being able to tinker with the lightsaber and, you know, deck it out to how I would want it to be done, how I would want it to look. And there's even a trophy tied to simply just, you know, customizing every aspect of your lightsaber. And, um, the, uh, and you, when you first started playing it, you talked about the difficulty in getting used to the game and its combat system. Yeah. And so I see with some of the enemies, like there were some enemies, like I can't remember, they're the big frog enemies on Bogano. Like they killed me quite a few times. So there are large enemies in the game that will, you know, that are like kill you in three hits. So you've got to be agile. You've got to be really careful. And there's a quite a bit of learning, like a quite a learning curve to those. And I feel like, you know, some of the larger enemies, like the shock troopers and stuff, yeah, you're going to die a few times. But overall, especially when it comes just to the the fodder enemies, like the stormtroopers, I felt like the learning curve for the combat system was pretty short. I, You know, like the parry system in particular, like it's really easy to learn, to get your timing down, to parry the blaster shots back the stormtroopers. And also like when you have like the stormtroopers that have the shock batons, I felt like learning to parry that. I mean, you're going to screw, screw up a few times, but I felt like the parry, like the, the learning curve on that was much easier than I thought it was going to be. Well, yeah, like I, and like I've said, I think I was going into the game trying to play like Force Unleashed, where I just, you know, just attack, attack, attack. You really, you know, if, if you were more aggressive than they were, they really didn't get a chance to hit you. And I was playing on a harder difficulty as well because I was like, well, you know, I play a lot of these games. I should be able to handle it. So um, that's probably where my, you know, the combat was difficult. But did did, did you really, did you, did you see, um, did it seem slow to you like the first two to five hours and then it finally felt like it opened up and got going? Kind of. I mean, the first chapter, which is Bracca, which is the opening planet in Bagano, they were kind of slow. I feel like, and you know, this is probably going to cause a bit of conversation here, but I didn't feel like this was a Star Wars game or like I was in the Star Wars universe until I got to Kashyyyk. So, you know, for that's, you know, like that was the fourth planet I went to or the fourth planet I was on. And, and, and to be honest, like I, you know, I had this issue with Rogue One where you know, I know a lot of people love that movie. I can recognize the quality of the movie, but for me, it didn't necessarily feel like a Star Wars movie. And also, you know, I mean, my other problem with that movie is that I know what's going to happen to all the main characters, so I'm not... It's like, you know, like with The Walking Dead, people are like, well, if you're going to kill all my favorite characters, why am I going to... How am I going to get attached to this series, or why am I going to watch it? I knew it was going to happen to all those characters, so it was harder for me to, like, connect with them and then, like, you know, want to see their story play out. 
But, uh, and I have the same feeling about Game of Thrones. Like, they're coming out with all these prequels to Game of Thrones. But my question is, how are you going to get people to watch those? Are people excited for them where, you know, the Stark are, kids... You, yeah, Stark, you already know what's going to happen. Well, I mean, but the Stark kids and, you know, Tyrion and the Lannisters and, and um, Jamie and Cersei. Like, there are so many characters, Tormund, that are synonymous with Game of Thrones now. And they're not going to be in those prequels. So it's kind of like, how do you expect people to get really invested in these shows? I mean, maybe the quality of the show will be great and, you know, it being in the, the universe will be enough. But... You look at Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, and that's probably why, you know, you had characters like Leia and Han and Luke in there, and Chewie as well. And you later on see Lando come in in the, the other movies. But you have – for fans who are established this, within the series, you have to have that bridge. You can't just, you know, have all these new characters come in and then expect people to believe in Star Wars. You got to have the Hans and the Leias and the Lukes to help bridge the gap between the, the old and the new. And for me, you know, Cal Kestis is a newer character in the Star Wars universe. And, you know, once I was embroiled in the the confrontations and the, the violence on Kashyyyk and all the Wookiees are around and everything, and I see the AT-ATs, like, okay, then I'm in Star Wars. That's that's when I felt like I was in Star Wars. Now, granted, there are stormtroopers running now around in the previous uh, planets. Yeah, you've got ATSTs, or at least one you got to take down on Zepho. And you got lightsabers. So, I mean, yeah, there are elements of Star Wars there, but I really didn't feel like it kicked into the Star Wars until Kashyyyk. And Yield, how do you feel about that? Because, I mean, you said the game dragged, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you felt that, you know, you, you weren't actually in the Star Wars universe. Um, you know, I never really thought of it that way because I was, I, you know, it probably really didn't feel like a Star Wars game until you started getting more of your force powers. You know, because you you were basically not to ruin it for anybody, but you you're basically just a dude with a lightsaber starting out the game, so to so to speak. And then so I don't know exactly at what point where I'm like, oh yeah. But I, I would say fighting the ATAT was kind of the beginning point of okay, yeah, it it, it really feels more like home. But more as you get your powers and you're able to do a little bit more where it felt more like a Star Wars game. Yeah, and I really like the choice of Cameron Monaghan for the – who played Cal Kestis. Cameron Monaghan, I, he, he's been in a bunch of stuff, but primarily what I can think of immediately is he was the Joker in the TV series Gotham. And he did a good job as that. And you know I think he's done so far a good job portraying Cal Kestis in this game. Once we go to Kashyyyk, not only do you have the Wookiees, um, you get some serious Shadow of the Colossus vibes when uh, you, you get to Kashyyyk and you're swimming through the river and you got to, you know, that, that whole series of events plays out. I don't want to, you know, spoil. I know this is an older game, but I, I still don't want to say too much. But I got serious Shadow of the Colossus vibes, which definitely is something that brought a smile to my face. But then you also have more Star Wars universe characters coming in, like Saw Gerrera, uh, a veteran of the Clone Wars. Saw Gerrera is in the game, and it was just nice to see him in there. It's a character that, you know, hasn't been, like, super heavily featured in the movie universe, but it, it was nice to have someone who you had heard of. You'd heard that name in the Star Wars universe, and now it's like, oh, okay, now this... I mean, you see a hologram of Obi-Wan early on explaining that the Jedi Order has fallen. So, but it, it was nice to have that tie to the, the previous Star Wars universe, you know, just beyond the Wookiees. And so, yeah, I mean, Kashyyyk is where you start seeing more and more names that you notice from the from the Star Wars universe. So, but 
You know, other than that, just a, a couple other things about the game. Uh, I like the sense echoes as far as collectibles goes, and th- that's a big thing for me is collectibles can really, they can detract or really enhance the experience because you have collectibles, and I'll go back to Alan Wake Remastered, like the coffee coffee canisters. They do the they do nothing for the story. They just are there for something you to collect. They're just a, a, like this little odd job that you do to get a platinum or to get a, a trophy. You know, whereas the pages, the author's notes that, you know, Alan Wake has been writing himself, he finds those. And those help add to the story. So they are like a collectible I actually want to find, whereas the coffee thermoses are just kind of a headache. In this game, you know, you have the, the little crates that open up and they, you know, they give you customizable, customizables for your character, for BD1, for the Mantis, and for your lightsaber. And then you've also got the Sense Echoes, which add to the lore of the game and kind of give you some background to the and ex- to what to the conflict that's going on around you. So those, like, I really like how the collectibles in this game really contribute to the overall st- story and narrative of the game. And yield uh, one thing that I did, like, I was kind of like, every time I get into an elevator in this game, I kind of just like, oh my god, this is going to take forever. Because the elevator rides in this game <laughs> are so freaking long. I'm talking like 30 seconds to a minute. What what did, okay, so on top of that, what do you think of the, of the map, of the heads up display map? You mean the one that you can just bring up? It's like kind of like the holographic blue map? The holographic blue map. I love the fact that it was a holographic blue map. Don't get me wrong. I, I really like that. But I, for me, as you unlock more and more of the map, I had a heck of a time remembering where I was and how I get from A to B. Maybe that was just me, but that was the only... My, my only real gripe of the game was the map as you get it more and more unlocked. So I know Tricky has had issues with the map, and he he talks about how he doesn't like the map. For me personally, is it the you know is it is it a necessarily fantastic? No, but I think the one thing that helps the map is that while there are you know you go back to planets multiple times, I think that this game is while there's you know exploration to be had, I feel like this game is pretty linear as far as things go. So it's not like you have a ton of options as to where to go. And they do like color code things. So when a new area opens up, it's like highlighted by green on your blue map, or if somewhere's blocked and you can't possibly progress yet, it's marked with red. So that does make it easier. And the fact that the, the game itself is, is pretty linear as far as that goes. So it's not like you're dealing with a big open sandbox game where you're going to get lost. If you go the wrong way, I feel like there are enough signs on the map where you can figure things out. But I also think that, I mean, there are definitely improvements they can make to the map. But, I mean, I... I, at first glance, I'm like, man, this kind of sucks. Where do I go? But as time has gone on, I've gotten more used to it and maybe better able to read the map. So, like I said, they color code things, which helps. The game is pretty linear. That helps. So I don't think the map is... I don't think the map, for me personally, causes a lot of headaches. But I know that Tricky has bemoaned the map and said it's it's terrible. So yeah, you know. like I, like I said, I I I had my issues, but that was like like I said, when you've got like everything opened up. So. Oh, and tricky did, because I encountered some spiders on Kashyyyk, and one of them is a jump scare, and these spiders are rather rather big, and you know it was I was playing late. Last week, I think I got on Thursday night, I got to, first got to Kashyyyk and it was late, so I I stopped playing. 
And then on Friday, I went through Kashyyyk and, for, and finally got to the spiders parts. And I was like, you know, maybe I should, I, sh- I need to text Tricky. I, you know, I went to text Tricky so he didn't get freaked out, so he didn't get scared. But it was, you know, I work late on Friday night, so it was later. So I was like, okay, well, I won't text him tonight. I'm not going to mess with that because, you know, Tricky's sleep schedule is all kinds of fucked up. So I never know really when to text him. But uh, Tricky found the spiders on one of the planets. And uh, I'm trying to find exactly where he said it. I swear I said something something at some point about that. Not like in a text, not in a text group. I meant like on the show. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm sure you did because I'm sure. I mean, whenever we see spiders in a game that Tricky's playing, I'm sure that. I mean, we don't really avoid telling him. We're not trying to freak him out. Well, it it it, it depends. If it's just like like an isolated incident, I would let it slip. But something like that, I I swear I said something. Not like you're not. Not like you're not going to want to play it. Just be ready for this. Yeah, so t- Tricky randomly texts us saying, by the way, I hate both of you for not telling me there were spiders in Fallen Order. And I'm trying to, and then he says, uh, are there any big ones or just the ones I've faced so far? And uh, what's, is it Dathomir? Is that the planet where Darth Maul's from, where you get the double-bladed lightsaber? Yes. Uh, apparently he met spiders on there. I'm not there yet, so I didn't have any experience with that. And uh, Tricky gets, we were getting to conversing and he goes, no one answered about the big ones are there. And and so I was confused because I was on Kashyyyk and to me, the ones on Kashyyyk are huge. And I don't know because, I mean, they're much bigger than the stormtroopers. And there were scenes where, you know, you got spiders and, and the local environment fighting against the stormtroopers. So I thought those were the big ones. I'm assuming the ones that he was talking about on the other planet are smaller than the ones on Kashyyyk. Do you have any insight to that, Yul? Do you remember? I, I don't remember. I just know that um, they're a pain in the butt. To be, because they because they team up on you. Yeah, and I told him there is a point in Kashyyyk where you step on some webbing and a spider jump scares you. It comes from behind you to attack you, and you don't see it until like the last second before it jumps on you. And there's like like a quick time event to get away from it, so you're meant to to get tackled by it. But uh, Tricky says, okay, for the record, that spider that Alex warned me about, much bigger. Still got me because I thought it was on the other planet. So she, even though I told Tricky, "Hey, there's a there's a pretty big spider coming," he uh he got he's got the signals got mixed and he he got st- still got a little scared. So I do feel bad that I forgot to text Tricky. But again, it's like my weekend is so jumbled with me working Friday nights and sleeping a lot of Saturday into the the afternoon that I just I didn't mean to let it slip, Tricky. I just you know just unfortunately forgot to tell you. So, but Tricky has made it through, and hopefully he's uh. With what he's had to go through, now he can progress and, and get the Platinum, because I've heard this is a pretty easy Platinum yield. Uh, yeah, for the most part it is. Like I said, the collectibles towards the end can be uh, annoying if you, like, missed one. And and, the, and I said annoying for me, because like I said, when, the, when you get your map fully opened up, you know, it was kind of annoying for me to go, okay, now... How did I get here? Okay, I got to go here and then here. And, and so that was kind of annoying. But yeah, it, it's not like an overly difficult platinum. You just have to stick with it. Well, you you say annoying, but I'm practically giddy about these collectibles because I just came from Returnal where the collectibles are tied to randomly shifting rooms in a roguelike game. So I feel like I'm I'm... This is going to be a breeze. I feel like this is going to be a cakewalk, to be honest. Well, yeah, it, it is probably compared to that. 
All right, well, that is going to wrap up what we've been playing. And all right, so Yield, let's dig into the big news of the week. Of course, that being Sony buying Bungie. Uh, Yield, I'll, uh, I'm going to you know read the official statement from PlayStation or from SIE, Sony Interactive Entertainment. And then you and I kind of butted heads on this over <laughs> the, the group chat. So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna let you kind of why don't you give your thoughts and opinions your your knee jerk reaction to the news uh, once I get done reading the that's fine okay okay so this comes from the PlayStation blog from Pre- from Jim Ryan president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment the headline is Bungie is joining PlayStation quote today I'm happy to announce Bungie will be joining the PlayStation family first off I want to be very clear to the community that Bungie will remain an independent and multi-platform studio and publisher as such we believe it makes sense for it to sit alongside the PlayStation Studios organization and we are incredibly excited about the opportunities for synergies and collaboration between those two world-class groups I spent a lot of time with Pete Parsons Jason Jones and the Bungie management team to develop the right relationships will they be fully backed and supported by Sony interactive entertainment and enabled to do what they do best build incredible worlds that captivate millions of people. Bungie's world-class expertise in multi-platform development and live game services will help us deliver on our vision of expanding PlayStation to hundreds of millions of gamers. Bungie is a great innovator and has developed incredible proprietary tools that will help PlayStation Studios achieve new heights under Herman Hulst's leadership. Here are a few words from Herman about this exciting acquisition and what it means for gamers. I am absolutely thrilled to announce a new member will be joining the PlayStation family. I've been a a fan of Bungie for many years. I've admired and enjoyed the games that they create and have great respect for their skill in building worlds that gamers want to explore again and again. Bungie makes games with outstanding technology that are enormously fun to play. They also have unmatched dedication to their communities that play their games, and everyone at PlayStation and PlayStation Studios will will be excited about what we can share and learn from them. I've also spent a great deal of time with the senior team at Bungie, and it is clear the experience and skills are highly complimentary to our own. We are ready. We will be ready to welcome and support Bungie as they continue to grow, and I cannot wait to see this. See what the future holds for this incredible team. And those are the words of Herman Hilst. Here are a few words from Pete Parsons, CEO of Bungie. We believe that games have limitless potential, and that do anything worthwhile, and that to do anything worthwhile in entertainment, we must bet big on our vision and on our studio, and on our incredible team of trusted creators who build for unforgettable worlds that truly matter to people. In Sony, we have found a partner who unconditionally supports us in all we are and who wants to accelerate our vision to create generation-spanning entertainment, all while preserving the creative independence that beats in Bungie's heart. Like us, Sony believes that game worlds are only beginning of what our IP can become. Together, we share a dream of creating and fostering iconic franchises that unite friends around the world, families across generations, and fans across multiple platforms and entertainment media. Today, Bungie begins our journey to become a global multimedia entertainment company. So we'll read from the PlayStation blog post. There's a little bit more about the history of Bungie. But yeah, so Yield, sir, I know that you were less excited about this than I was. And I should say that I've never bought a Bungie game. I never bought, you know, the the original creators of Halo. Obviously now they hold the keys to Destiny. I have never, I played some of Halo back in the day with, you know, going over to a friend's house and playing Halo multiplayer, but I've never actually owned myself a Bungie game. So, but as far as where this fits into PlayStation's vision, you and I kind of had different opinions. And so, Yield, what was your, uh, you know, reaction to this news when it came out? My knee-jerk reaction was this was a knee-jerk purchase from Sony. Now, I get it. You don't spend that kind of money just because your competitor announced last week that they bought Activision. 
So, I mean, I get it that this has been in the works. It just, the, the timing of everything felt like a knee-jerk reaction. I, I'm not overly enthralled by it because, I mean, if Bungie can do another Halo, uh, absolutely. Because Halo, I, I played Halo 1, I played all the, the three Halos that Bungie were a part of. They are absolutely amazing, great stories. The Destiny, I was excited for at the beginning, but I was I was envisioning a cross-platform Halo-esque game, and that's kind of not what it was as we got closer to launch. And I just, I'd never played it, never have been enthralled to play by it. Um, I know it struggled at launch, so I was just kind of like, you know, in, in a sense of, what have you done for me lately? You know, you've done Destiny and Destiny 2. And I know that you've supported it very well, but I'm like, so you've done five games in your life, in your lifespan. You know, you, you know, Sony purchased you. You're going to continue to keep Destiny, anything future and onward cross-platform, which I get, you don't, if you make it uh, console exclusive, you cut out your fan, your player base. So I get it. Well, also, also yield, um, keeping things multi-platform. So if Sony owns Bungie, that's um, any games they make, they can still, you know, have them on, you know, PC and on Xbox and all this stuff. It probably keeps those games off of Game Pass and likely, if Sony is building a competitive Game Pass, it's like, okay, well, you can play this game on multiple consoles, but you'll get the best experience here. And they can give, you know, players some kind of monetary breaks or, you know, some perks by playing on the PlayStation Network. Well, and, and that's what I, that, and that's what I expect, you know, just like now that Call of Duty is, is you know, kind of primarily on Xbox, so to speak, all those little extra perks, you know, the, the play it here first stuff. That's all going to be on Xbox. I expect Bungie stuff to be the same thing, you know, play this map a month, two months first, you know, and, you know, things like that. So, but I mean, like I said, I just wasn't floored by it. So one of the other things that doing the multi-platform thing is probably why Microsoft is also looking into keeping some things multi-platform. Because when you buy somebody as big as Activision, biggest you know video game deal of all time, biggest acquisition of all time, you have the benefit of saying, okay, so we can keep a few things to our specific console and say these are exclusive to entice people to come over to your, your playground and play. But you also have the benefit because there are so many IP within the company of saying, We'll also keep these things multi-platform because in the end, we're making more money for own from owning them. But also, you know, you kind of, you know, because we're getting to the point now where at these acquisitions, you're starting to talk about antitrust. You know, the FTC is overseeing the, you know, acquisition of uh, Microsoft Activision or Microsoft, Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. So you're getting starting to get into the talk of like monopolies. So that is one thing that they can't use against you. Is that, oh, hey, you know, people say, oh, this, you know, violates antitrust laws. Oh, they're trying to build a monopoly over there by owning all these games. Well, Microsoft and Sony can say, well, we're also keeping these games multi-platform, so we're not trying to. So it's kind of a way to maybe sidestep the antitrust stuff a little bit. 
Because obviously, if Sony or Microsoft are keeping games on the opposite platform, they're not going to charge, you know, $70 on PlayStation, then bump the price up to 100 on their console. Or, you know, you would figure that if games are multi-platform, they have to be the same cost on every console. So, but I, I think that when people looked and saw this news, and I, I had heard, I don't know exactly where I had seen it written, but this deal was a, supposedly five months in the making. And, you know, we know deals like this. The, the, the money that Sony paid for Bungie is, was $3.6 billion. And that's the biggest, I think, single purchase Sony has ever made as far as, you know, Sony PlayStation Studios, SIE. So I think that a lot of people looked at this as, one, they were looking for immediate impact. And a lot of people, when they tried to analyze it, they could see some synergies, but a lot of people were like, they didn't see the immediate impact. This is Sony making a play for the long haul, not something that's going to be immediately apparent. So when you buy Activision Blizzard, you very clearly see the immediate impact of that. You know, there are a lot of questions still like, well, what's going to stay multi-platform? What's going to be exclusive? But the impact of that is a lot more apparent than Sony buying Bungie and saying they're saying, okay, they're still going to be multi-platform because then a lot of people are looking for an immediate impact saying, okay, well, we don't understand what's in this for Sony. So there were a lot of questions about that. And also, I think a lot of people, you know, like you said, they were seeing this as a reaction or some kind of like shot against Microsoft because of the Activision Blizzard deal, as it was a reaction to that. And I don't think that's the case, because as you read more and more, you see that this was a very uh, pointed move, an acquisition they wanted to make prior to the Activision deal. This is a studio and a publisher that they see as fitting well within their portfolio and help helping strengthen some of the areas that Sony is weak in. Does Sony need to go out and buy another studio that makes AAA story-based games? No, probably not. They've got a lot of that. What you get with Bungie is hopefully, and what you've seen with some of their purchases over the last couple of years, is that they're looking to strengthen areas of their business where they're weak at. So, you know, people can't sit here and say, oh, well, Sony's lagging so far, so far behind Game Pass. And then when they make a purchase that isn't, you know, in the vein of Naughty Dog or Housemark or Insomnia Games. And then, you know, look at them and be like, well, what are you guys doing? This makes no sense. This is clearly an attempt to strengthen their overall portfolio. And just like with money, when you're making bets with your money and you're trying to grow your, your money through mutual funds and stocks like that, you want to divorce, diversify your, po your portfolio so that you're not at risk for losing money. Sony is right now diversifying their portfolio. So I think a lot of people looked at this, they wanted immediate impact. They also saw it as a direct reaction to Microsoft, which it was not. And I think a lot of people look at this deal and they say, well, you know, because there were very mixed opinions on this, but a lot of people look at this and it's like, okay, well, what does, do, do, what does this do for me personally? It's not necessarily, what does this do for the PlayStation portfolio? It's like, well, hey, I'm not interested in Bungie games, so why do I care about this? This isn't a good deal. Now, maybe not everybody does that, but I think there was definitely some of that where you have people looking at their own interest in what they play on PlayStation and they're like, well, this Dell doesn't make sense for me because I don't really play Bungie games. So I feel like all that together led to a lot of mixed reviews or a lot of mixed feelings towards this purchase. Yield, would you agree with any of that? Yes, I. Um, there are mixed opinions on the purchase. I do 100% agree with that. Do you see this as Sony? I mean, would you agree that this is yeah, Sony yeah. making more of a, a push for the long haul? It makes the most sense. It would have to be. Like I said, they've done five games since, you know, you know, they've were, were created. But, um, but like I was, like my buddy said, if they can do, if they can catch lightning in the bottle again, like what they did with Halo, 
you know, it's definitely well worth it, you know, especially if they can get, you know, Sony can get the exclusive out of them. So. Well, and they've, they, one of the biggest things they've said, one of the immediate impacts of this for Bungie is they are now going to staff up. There's accelerated staffing at Bungie because they now have the capital of Sony to do that at a much faster rate. So that is definitely one benefit for Bungie being, you know, acquired by Sony. And, you know, I brought this to the, the table with Tricky a few weeks ago. I mean, Bungie was a studio that was once part of Microsoft, then they spun off because they kind of wanted to be more independent. They made a deal with Activision when it comes to Destiny, and then they later, you know, got away from that deal and got away from Activision to become more independent. This is now a studio that, hey, once they're independent, and you can see that in this deal, they are still going to develop multi-platform. They still have, you know, the people there at Bungie are still running the deal. They're owned by Sony, but, you know, Bungie is still in control of Bungie. And I, you know, for somebody who has spun off of other deals to want to make this deal, it's pretty impressive. And I brought the idea to so- to Tricky that, you know, Kojima, what could they do to bring Kojima into Sony? And, you know, you kind of look at these situations, you know, Tricky says that Kojima would never do that because he doesn't want anybody over his head. And I think this is evidence that Sony, if they really wanted to, could bring Kojima, Kojima to the fold. I think that promising autonomy to a lot of these studios who have potentially been burned by past relationships or just don't want the overhead i mean i think that they sony can definitely coax some of those studios i mean coax maybe has a negative connotation but say hey we want you part of the playstation family but we're gonna leave things in control of you so i just after tricking had that discussion i thought it was funny that they didn't bring in bungie who traditionally wants their are fiercely protective of their independence so Next, I kind of wanted to go to an article at, on Forbes written by Paul Tassie, a senior contributor, and the headline is Why 2021 Has Been Destiny 2's Most Impressive Year to Date. Quote, despite the series being seven years old and the current game being four, something has clicked this year in Destiny 2, and somehow this has turned into one of the best years for the franchise, despite the fact that we are about to go through all of 2021 without being a major without a major expansion. Beyond Light having dis- debuted last December, and The Witch Queen not coming until February 2022. Each season has attracted more and more players than the last. Splicer being more popular than Chosen, Lost now being more popular than Splicer. Bungie announced that an additional 20 million players arrived after they left Activision and put some of the game free to play. That that does not mean, I'm breaking away, that doesn't mean they have 20 million people playing the game now. That just means that people have come and gone. Uh, that many people have at least tried the game during that time. Quote, Destiny 2 is routinely a top 10 game on Steam these days, and the success of the franchise has paved the way for a massive Bungie expansion where it's tripling its campus size and growing into higher end spree. We have two more Destiny 2 expansions confirmed with a new saga starting after that. We have Destiny expanding into multimedia projects as an IP, and we have Bungie starting to make other non-Destiny games funded by the success of Destiny these past seven years. I don't think we could discount the fact that it, at its core, Destiny is free-to-play, which has helped dramatically increase its player count from when it was under Activision. This year, after a bunch of free content was un- unfortunately vaulted in 2020, we got at least a few significant offerings for free players like Vault of Glass returning. The season crossplay has now opened up the player base even more and allowed friends to play in groups that were previously separated at an understated but actually huge deal for the game. And uh, the author goes into more and more reasons or specifics about why Bungie has be, or uh, Destiny has become more successful as they've gone on because they've learned from their mistakes. But, you know, this, as mentioned in the article, 
Destiny is huge on Steam. It's routinely a top 10 game. And, you know, where do we see Sony trying to get more and more into the PC market with Days Gone and, you know, putting God of War on PC? You know, uh, they have a Steam page now. Um, so they're trying to get more of more of a foothold into the PC market. And now they're going to get an even bigger piece of that pie by adding Bungie to the PlayStation Studios family. So I think this is one, a play for more of that PC market. And it makes sense in that way. You know, and they talked about the accelerated growth of, of Bungie. And like I said, that that is afforded by the protection of Sony and the, the capital that Sony has. But it also talks about how the amount of money that has been brought in, the revenue brought in by Destiny has allowed them to hire up and to work on other projects. So, Yield, it does seem they do mention other projects. So it seems like besides Destiny, which they're looking to turn it, you know, into a multi, go to multi multi-mediums with, it does seem like you're going to get more games than just Destiny out of Bungie. So I think it's, you know, in our chat, we talked about, you know, you had brought up, you know, CG Project Red and kind of the launch they had with Cyberpunk. And then you also compared Destiny and their their troubled launch to something like, oh, well. No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky. So what I think is evident by how well they by destiny's growth is that they've learned from their mistakes and they have clearly turned this because the 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 first game i think reviewed in like the sevens on metacritic the second one is like 8.5 or something like that so i mean you can see they've learned from their mistakes and they're trying to make the the game stronger and the universe stronger and they like you said they've continued to support it there's a new expansion coming out this february so you know we're on the doorstep of that but i i think that kind of it's different than those situations because one, my issue with CD Projekt Red was that they released a game broken and they knew it and they tried to deceive us. And then obviously with No Man's Sky, that game necessarily hasn't recuperated quite the way that Destiny has. So I get your point as to, you know, the bungled launches, but one, I don't think it was, you know, as insidious as CD Projekt Red, but also... They've recovered much better than, say, that game company, or not that game company, uh, Hello Games has with No Man's Sky. And, you know, do you do you ever go back and play No Man's Sky anymore, Yield? Do you know, does it seem like there's still a decent community for that? I haven't gone back and restarted it since um, they they've have added everything to it. I want to, because I want to get that platinum in that game, but that that's one of my... Uh, backlog games or you know for my four all right and uh another article i mean i've got like a a total of five articles here just kind of all talking about the deal and and what this encompasses but uh this one comes from gizmodo and the title is why sony really bought bungie in parentheses and it's not just about microsoft by philip tracy In the short term, Sony will be welcome a larger player base and a steady stream of income from the purchase of expansions and in-game currency made by Destiny's sizable and stable player base. Maintaining that player base means keeping them together rather than fracturing the group, which can team up and compete thanks to crossplay with exclusivity. Microsoft will do the same with Call of Duty, although it's unclear whether that's a strategic decision or a requirement to honor existing agreements. Beyond a popular game that could help filling a gap for a filling a gaping first-person shooter hole in the catalog, Sony's buying a studio with pedigree, one that can help expand and trust enough to release quality titles. Sure enough, Bungie CEO Pete Parsons 
wrote in a blog post that the most immediate change will be the ability for Bungie to be to quickly hire talent across the studio. If all goes well, Bungie will follow Naughty Dog and Insomniac Games as Sony-owned studios whose rele- releases drives huge sales, figures, and snatch awards at the end of each year. I mentioned the two studios above because they are involved in another element to the Bungie deal that has flown somewhat under the radar. The potential for Sony to expand Destiny beyond gaming, which is something Bungie was already planning prior to the announcement. Read between the lines of what both Sony and Bungie XX have said so far in The Rise on the Wall. Together, we share a dream of creating and fostering iconic franchises that unite friends around the world, families across generations, and fans across multiple platforms and entertainment mediums, Bungie CEO Pete Parsons wrote in a post. Take this as speculation, but this sounds a lot to me like Destiny, the TV show slash movie, could soon be in the works. Bungie is hardly keeping it its secret either. Last year, the studio posted a job listing for a new senior executive who could drive projects that extend the Destiny franchise into new categories, including TV, films, books, comics, and audio formats. Sony could make for the ideal partner. Not only has the company shown an ability to nurture studios, but Sony Pictures, a sister division within the Japanese conglomerate, has knowledge and resources to turn Destiny into a massive media franchise. We are mere weeks away from the release of the Uncharted movie, an adaptation of Sony's most successful video game series, of one of Sony's most successful video game series, and the post-apocalyptic thriller franchise The Last of Us is in process of being turned into an HBO TV series. So you can see there the benefit for Bungie is that and I mentioned this with Tricky and, and Kojima again, where if Kojima wanted to take Metal Gear Solid or any one of his franchises that he you know, really loves to the screen, to the silver screen, and to, into movies and to TV, Sony's a perfect partner because they got Sony Pictures. And you know they can other do, do other projects with Sony, Sony Music as well. So there's obviously, you know, Bungie keeps their autonomy. They get, you know, the access to Sony's tools and to their team. And Sony has access to Bungie's tools and their tech and their, their, um, their staff there. Yield, one of the things I wanted to kind of hone in on from this article, and uh, where is it? Oh my god, okay, yes, and this is something I brought up, is that Destiny, or um, the areas that Bungie has really succeeded in is the online, is, is multiplayer. You know, first-person shooters, you know, third, well, third-person, first-person, like, the, the, the shooter franchises, and, you know, multiplayer and online, those are the areas where I feel like Sony's pretty weak with. And we've seen it, you know, you know, shooter franchises within Sony that we've seen, Resistance and then Killzone. Well, Killzone was, you know, something the Gorilla was making and Sony, you know, moved them off of that. Or, you know, I don't know if Sony made the decision or if Gorilla Games made the decision, but they've now moved on to Horizon and created that world. And so Killzone has kind of been left in the past. We haven't seen anything new with Killzone. You've got Resistance, which, you know, was brought up in our chat. And that, I think, Resistance was pitched to Sony Ben Studio after, you know, in, in lieu of a Days Gone sequel, and, and basically Sony's side just said that game didn't, the franchise didn't sell well enough for us to revisit that. So Sony has this gaping hole in their portfolio of needing a successful shooter that can match, you know, a lot of the bigger games out there. And unfortunately for them, you know, Killzone being positioned as a Halo killer back in the day, well, there was a lot of controversy around that because while Killzone 2 was a good game, it never lived up to the hype of the initial trailer we saw. It just didn't look as good, and people felt like they were not, I don't know, deceived, but they were basically shown a game that looked much better than the final product we got, you know, regardless of how good Killzone looked. So Killzone never was the Halo killer that Sony wanted it to be, and, you know, straight from Sony's mouth, Resistance, Resistance was a really good series. It was a lot of fun. The games reviewed well, but it didn't give them the foothold in the shooter, you know, genre that they really wanted 
So what you have here is, oh, hey, here's Bungie. They have experience in online, they have experience in multiplayer games, and they have experience with shooters. So that would seem to fit into Sony's catalog. Because you'll, you know, when you look at Sony's catalog, like, what do you see mostly of their own, their, their own IP? Like, what kind of games? Platforms. Yeah, but like... Platforms and uh, third-person shooters. You mean that's, oh, you, oh you know, that, that what you're saying is like the biggest holes in their game? Oh, holes, no. What what they own and what they do best. Yeah, well, so what kind of games do you think Sony does best? Uh, well, so- story-driven is what they do best. You know, movie-quality games is is what I say they do best. Yeah, and, you know, we, we saw them add to their the, the stable of, of game studios that can make those kind of games. Housemark last year, Bluepoint Studios is working on stuff for them. So we've seen them add those those developers that can churn out the really like eye catching games, the the AAA games, and you know. So I really feel like because Sony, I mean, you look at what Haze, you look at all these shooter franchises that Sony has tried to do exclusively. You know, they've never caused as they've never caused as much of a stir or like positivity as they would. They've never gained as much of a foothold in the shooter market as I think Sony has wanted. So I think, you know, immediately when I saw this news, I was like, oh, well, that's part of the reason they bought Bungie is because they deal in all these areas that Sony is weakest in. And, you know, you've got Polyphony Digital getting ready to come out with Gran Turismo, but a lot of Sony's portfolio is story-driven single-player games like Uncharted, The Last of Us, Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon, I mean, Ratchet and Clank, Clank, Spider-Man. So I think that Sony has really, and you see, like, they've made a lot of small purchases within the last year, year and a half. They're trying to fill gaps in their portfolio. So I think that people aren't giving Sony enough credit for being as forward-looking as they are. So, I mean, I I think that you can criticize Sony for trying to wall off their system and not being as open as Microsoft. And yes, they're lagging behind Microsoft and systems and in their infrastructure, their online infrastructure and online games. Like, yes, Game Pass is worlds better than what Sony offers. So yes, they are definitely lagging behind. But in each area, you see Microsoft make really big sweeping purchases like Zenimax to get Bethesda, and you also have Activision Blizzard because they needed to get to try catch up with Sony as far as the the owned IPs go. Sony, on the other hand, is now trying to bolster their PC market, their online, their multiplayer, all that kind of stuff because they're not quite they can't match Microsoft at that. So, you know what you're seeing in all these purchases is each studio is acting differently and taking a different approach to it. But I think that. That's because they have their own strengths and weaknesses right now, and they're trying to shore up what what they're lacking. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you'll, I mean, do you? I know that you kind of you've you've never been big on Destiny, as you said, and you you've never been like super into the Bungie games. But does any of this, you know, seem like okay? Well, you know, maybe Sony isn't just farting away three point six billion. Well, I mean. When you've got time to sit and think about it, you know they're not just farting away, or you hope they're not just farting away three point six billion. Um, like my buddy said, it you know if they can catch lightning in a bottle twice, that I would think that this was the smartest purchase ever. You know, um, hearing your arguments, or not arguments, but hearing your points on why you know Bungie's a good purchase. It does make sense. I mean, we'll just have to see what games they have in development and what comes up, what comes of it. Look, 
Am I ever going to sit down and play Destiny? Probably, no, probably not. I'm, it's it's it's. I, too, I know I'm not. There's an established, you know, player base there, and I feel like there'd be too much catching up for me to do. But when Sony makes a purchase, what I want to know is: is this going to bring extra revenue to the company, which they can use to, you know, then devote and reinvest in their studios, and you know, maybe make further purchases or invest that into games for the future so the more the more money sony makes when you're a, a playstation owner that's good for you whether you want to play the games or not if sony's bringing in more money then that's good for you as a playstation owner so i like i said there i feel like sony has got a lot on the plate for playstation owners you know we got the spider-man game another spider-man game coming out we got the wolverine game we got god of war horizons coming out this month and you know 12 days you know when you hear this even even fewer days but I feel like Sony has kind of cornered the market on those single-player story-driven games, and now they're starting to branch out. And, you know, it goes into them adding more games to PC to try to get some of that market, and them trying to, basically, if there are any weak points in their armor, try try to strengthen those. So, and, you know, we... Another big thing, Yield, that I know has been talked about is Whenever these purchases are made, it's always like, okay, well, what does this acquisition mean for exclusivity? Because a lot of people see this as a as an arms race, a video game's arms race between Sony, and there's a lot of consolidation going in, on right now in the video game industry. And I know that that's something in particular that a lot of people within our community, including yourself, have been worried of. And I think you even commented where you said that you feel like all this consolidation at some point is going to ruin the industry. I, I do. And this is, like I said, just my opinion. You've taken all these industry or all these uh, developers who were independent, and I know that a lot of companies that when they hook up with Sony or Microsoft, they're saying they're keeping their ind- independency or independence. What I fear of is kind of like what they did with Bend, in the sense of, well, you don't got anything going on, so we're going to take your people. And here, we want you to focus on this company's game. And and there may come a point, because like you said, it's it feels like a video game arm race. Everybody's gobbling everybody up. That we've gotten too big. Well, we don't need this company over here anymore. They haven't done anything or their game hasn't sold what we were wanting them to sell. So... The rest, we're going to shutter your company, but we're going to keep you, you, and you because we think you do exceptional work. We'll send you somewhere else, and the rest of you all are gone. And I feel at some point that that we might get to that. And instead of having all these individual groups coming up with these great games and then pitching them to the company, whether they're trying to go for multi-console or an exclusive deal, everybody's underneath an umbrella, and when the money stops flowing, they're going to start axing people. So yeah, let me let me run something by you here. So I'm sure that we've kind of hinted at this when Levi's been on and we talked about Game Pass. It's almost like Game Pass opened up the world of video games to the Netflix style of consumption to video games. I mean, PlayStation Now is is part of that as well, but you know, Game Pass has been even more successful at that. It's almost like these studios or these platform holders are like, 
we got to own these IPs so we can control an almost a Netflix style service or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever you want to do where you subscribe to us and you get this buffet of content. Do you think that that's the direction we're heading in? You know, I've never thought about it. Um, now that you say something, it does kind of seem like that's a very plausible possibility. You know, because now we own it. You have to play it on our service. You can't go play it somewhere else necessarily. Or like you were saying earlier, you know, even, you know, by having a company that does something multi-platform, but if you want to, you know, you either have to go buy it digitally or physically but we're going to offer it on our streaming service as part of their payment, you know, as so there are options there. We'll just have to see how things work out to see if, if that's what we're doing, but it is a very good, good plausible possibility. Cause I don't, I think that the way we're heading, because these companies can only expand so much and keep so much exclusive. But I think where we're heading is, it's like, okay, well, our, this game doesn't necessarily have to be exclusive. All the IP don't have to be exclusive to our console for us to draw you to us. So, hey, we're still going to let, you know, the the Microsoft community or the PlayStation, you know, community, we're still going to let these games be multi-platform over there. But to get the best possible experience, you're going to have to be on our console or you're going to have to subscribe to our service, our Game Pass or our PlayStation Plus. So it may not be that as these studios get bought up, that you're going to see exclusives, the, you know, the number of exclusives on each console grow. What you might see is them trying to make their online services more enticing by making the deal better on their console for their service. So, all right. Um, and this next article is going to be, I got a, a couple more articles here. This one um, is about, uh, from IGN.com about how Sony kind of fits into Bungie's over or Bungie fits in Sony's overall plan. And the next one we're going to go over is, is Nintendo's kind of reaction to all of this. So, cause I know everybody's been thinking it like, you know, Oh, you know, Microsoft's buying this, Sony's buying this. What's Nintendo going to do? Who are they going to buy? If anybody. So this article is from Jonathan Dornbush on IG.com. It's how Sony's Bungie buy fits into the larger PlayStation plans. So this is going to be a bit of a read, not nearly as long as Bully 2, so just just stick with me. But Jonathan writes, I see Sony's acquisition of Bungie as a clear encapsulation of Sony's ambitions for the PlayStation brand we have seen over the last few years, and we will likely only continue to see as the years progress. Sony has been concentrating on sealing the deal with studios it has a long history with to guarantee a steady stream of exclusives, like Insomniac, more recently Returnal Devs Housemark, the makers of Demon's Souls remake Bluepoint Games, and Firesprite, a studio founded by former Studio Liverpool leads that's already proving to be a big asset on PSVR. Uh, they are, of course, Firesprite. They're the ones who are doing Horizon Call of the Mountain. Quote, These purchases are key to assuaging any fans' concerns. Even as PlayStation moves into new spaces, it is by no means giving up on the cinematic and action-focused exclusive that have come to define it. Secondly, it's focusing on deals with teams that can help bolster and support, bolster and support PlayStation brands both on and off PlayStation platforms like Nixie's Software and Valkyrie Entertainment. Nixies is well known for its PC porting prowess, and Valkyrie has been supporting Sony Studios already with both development on God of War 2018 and God of War Ragnarok. As PlayStation looks to PC as a new avenue for its games, Nixies can help ensure the quality of those ports, while Valkyrie can assist teams in-house with developing their games and hopefully stave off delays or dry spells in the release calendar. 
Thirdly, it's made a series of exclusivity deals, which is nothing new for Sony. After all, we're expecting Forspoken and Ghostwire Tokyo, among other console exclusives this year. But the most interesting of the bunch are its deals to actually publish games by new independent studios headed by veteran talent, Firewalk Studios, Deviation Games, and Haven Studios. And we saw them partner with Ember Labs. They don't own Ember Labs, but we saw them partner with Ember Labs to bring us Kena Bridge of Spirits last year. Quote, while the deals with the latter aren't outright Sony acquisitions, as Worldwide Studios head Herman Hulst, Herman Hulst told IGN last year, they allow these studios to work with PlayStation's tools and services, letting fledgling new teams with veteran know-how gain access to years of refined technology. And in return, PlayStation is building a foundation of games that aren't necessarily synonymous with its brand and offer live service and multiplayer experience. Firewalk, a studio made up of Destiny, Halo, and Apex Legends devs, is working on a console-exclusive multiplayer game. Jade Raymond's first Haven Studios game we built around some live service elements, and Deviation Games is founded by former CEO, uh, former Call of Duty Black Ops and Zombies leads. All of these studios speak to genres and ideas that haven't been at the core of PlayStation exclusives for quite some time. Some excellent multiplayer modes like Ghost of Tsushima's Legends notwithstanding. Uh, Jade Raymond is a name that a lot of you may recognize because she originally worked within Ubisoft on the Assassin's Creed series. Quote, internally, we've also we've also seen a shift into new territory with Naughty Dog hard at work on a multiplayer experience and London Studio hiring for an online-focused PS5 exclusive. In fact, PlayStation has even confirmed it is aiming to launch at least 10 live service games in the next four years. And it's not hard to see why. In the last fiscal year, add-on content, DLC, and microtransactions accounted for a third of PlayStation's net sales. All this focus on studios that can facilitate PC ports and, and on live service games, or even the acquisition of a studio like Bungie, that isn't going to be making exclusives may seem antithetical to some of Sony's messaging in recent years. It's certainly a huge shift from the days of Sony blocking crossplay because PlayStation was the best place to play. And Jim Ryan's 2020 quote that Sony does believe in generations. But I still don't believe that these expansionary moves are evidence of a scramble to match Xbox in every way and nothing else. In the last few years, Sony founded PlayStation Productions in 2019, released the Horizon PC port in 2020, and announced the Days Gone PC port in 2021 before the Nixies acquisition, and began expanding to mobile interest in the early 2021 long before Xbox acquired King. Sony has been taking small steps toward the bigger future for years. They just weren't steps that seemed as thrilling for the future or as daring as Xbox. So how does Bungie fit in? Well, it, while it will operate outside of the Worldwide Studios stable, its ownership under Sony does allow its access to all the development service perks of, of PlayStation Studios. And Sony now has an in-house partner who has been through the ringer when it comes to developing online multiplayer and ongoing game, game ecosystems. Though Destiny 2 has found its footing, the early days of Destiny are infamous for troubles. Bungie went through it trying to establish an ongoing and engaging universe, and his comeback is one of the biggest in recent memory. Bungie has learned an incredible amount in almost a decade of Destiny under its belt. That, that's learning innovations you can't just create overnight, unless, of course, you buy them. As Sony looks to expand that play, what PlayStation means for players with new genres, ongoing games, and more, Bungie is, Bungie is a natural fit to marry that ambition with concrete tools, more revenue, and a dedicated user base. And that seems to be exactly what Sony's intentions are, given recent statements. So, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to add that article in there because it shows you exactly how each purchase and all these studios fit into the puzzle that Sony is trying to make, particularly the smaller studios like Valkyrie and Nixies, which, you know, people look at that up against what Microsoft has done. And it's like, well, that's not as impressive. But when you look at the overall picture, again, Sony and Microsoft at this point have different needs. They are addressing their, you know, they have different strengths and they are addressing weaknesses. So... I feel like Sony's purchases are, like I described it in our chat yield, as kind of little small puzzle pieces that are building to a larger picture. Whereas with Microsoft, they're making larger sweeping moves that, you know, on the surface are more impressive. But each company is addressing where they're lacking the most. So as far as being someone who 
owns a PlayStation and, you know, that obviously has, you know, some brand loyalty to Sony, but, you know, again, it comes back to the games, and Sony has the games that I want to play. You know, I would rather play Ghost of Tsushima, Uncharted, Ratchet and Clank than I would Forza or Halo or, um, well, I can't say Starfield because I haven't seen much of Starfield, and I know people are really, really looking forward to that game. But, you know, uh, Sea of Thieves. So there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot of great owned content that Microsoft is going to put onto Game Pass and on the Xbox. What I want to play is just more so on the PlayStation. So and as someone who has invested in the PlayStation, I'm actually happy to see the moves that Sony has made because I feel like they're smart moves. Now, things could always, you know, go south and, you know, you learn that, well, a purchase isn't as good as it first looked. But even if I'm not going to play Destiny... I still have faith that Sony is addressing the future of PlayStation to make it stronger and more diverse than just kind of focusing on, well, we're going to put out this AAA story-based game and you'll buy it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like I said, my my knee-jerk reaction to the purchase of Bungie was, you know, what have you done for me lately? And And even though... You know, Destiny is doing well on the Steam market. You know, it's... I don't know anybody in my immediate circle who has played it or was either was overly thrilled about it. So I don't have that initial, you know, oh, hey, man, this game's really good or I'm really enjoying it. So that that was my stance on it. Now, hearing some of the articles, you know, um. I'm hoping that it's, you know, it works out for them. Well, I mean, I think that what we've, you know, what our kind of forays into Rocket League and World of Warships have proven is, and, you know, now Hot Wheels Unleashed because they're going to have different seasons, they're going to have different volumes, and they're going to have racing seasons. And depending on how good the cars are, then I'm I'm going to be investing more money into Hot Wheels Unleashed. So the games as a service are becoming more and more important. You're seeing more games that are essentially platforms instead of just a one-shot release, and then maybe you'll get a thing of DLC, and that's it. That's becoming increasingly important, and, you know, even though you and I necessarily haven't divin- uh, dove as deep into some of these universes as other people, and in that kind of model, you know, you play Rock Band 2, which is a, a, a constantly updating service. We've gotten, you know, neck deep in Rocket League, and you're playing World of Warships, and, you know, Hot Wheels Unleashed for me, so I think that what we've seen is we can find our own niche within that, and for, you know, those big AAA titles, yes, are still important, but the games as a service are becoming increasingly important, and, you know, this is kind of another step in there, and, you know, who knows, maybe, you know, you don't buy no Destiny, but, you know, like you said, maybe they Bungie catches light in a bottle again, and there is some kind of game as a service, a platform that, going forward, well, hell, you might just jump in, and you're you're a, a willing participant for years, or you're, you're a... a Contributing member of that community for years and years because, I mean, you haven't slowed down in playing Rocket League. You've only played more and you haven't slowed down with World of Warships. So, I mean, there's clearly for you within these communities where they're continually adding content, like you're, you're within the right circumstance. I mean, you're there for it. Yes. Yes. I, it's kind of, I guess I refer to that as like uh, the indie scene when I was constantly poking fun at all these indie games. But I always said that, well, they're just not making the games that are in my genre, that are in my interest. And now I have probably spent the last couple of years playing a lot more smaller indie games because, hey, these games are in my interest. So 
uh, as for games of service, yeah, you know, there there are ones there that that fit, you know, if they fit the right scratch the right itch or you know, fill the right need, I'll I'll be there for quite a while. I mean, as you said, Rocket League, World of Warships. Look at what we did for Warhawk. Yeah. We actually met through Warhawk. I yeah. yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I mean, we both put over three hundred hours in Warhawk. I'm pretty sure so. we were PSN friends before we actually podcasted together. Yes, if I remember that correctly. Yes, o- old sarcastic gamer days. So, I mean, again, we're we're still in the early days of this acquisition, and we'll see how it all plays out. But I think that we all need to kind of look at these acquisitions, not just by Sony, but by Microsoft, and say, okay, well, don't. I often I love the the quote that comparison is the thief of joy. Like if you go to the gym, you know, I'm not a huge guy, so if I can compare myself to somebody over there who's a freaking giant lifting weights, I'm never going to be happy because I'm never going to be able to lift as many weights as that person. So, I think that we've gotten into we're going we're heading back into the fanboy wars, the console wars again, and oh, absolutely, it's kind of always been there, but it's died down a little bit since the PlayStation Two and the Xbox 360 days. Or no, the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 days. But I I feel like we need to stop looking at these purchases and comparing them to each other and be like, oh, well, this is clearly Microsoft an answer to Microsoft's purchase of Activision and this purchase sucks compared to that. What you need to do is you need to step back and say, okay, overall, regardless of how I feel about the game, what is this purchase going to do for Sony? What is this purchase going to do for Microsoft? You don't don't be like, Oh, well, Microsoft can't make games, so they got to buy all the Activision IPs. Look at the potential of what that means for the business strategy of Microsoft and how well does that fit into their portfolio. So you you don't want, you know, Sony and Microsoft just throwing haymakers at each other and and Microsoft's like, all right, we'll buy an Activision Blizzard. And then it's like, oh, well, Sony, we're buying Square Enix. And then Microsoft's like, well, take two, fuck you. And then Sony's like, oh, Capcom's now ours. Look, (laughs) Look at how these there won't be any developers left yeah or they're all going to be like teeny tiny studios i but look at how these purchases fit into the portfolio specifically for microsoft and sony because microsoft and sony at this point need different things for their business structure so that's all i'm saying if you're you know you can be apprehensive of a deal you can look at a deal and be like oh okay well i'm i'm not super excited about this this company's purchase but at the same time recognize what it potentially could do for their business because that's what they're doing. They're trying to make the most diverse business and the strongest business they possibly can in the the most areas they can. And Jim Ryan's already come out and said that, uh, hey, you can expect more acquisitions and more acquisitions very soon. So it seems like, I mean, I know that Capcom is heavily suspected because uh, Jeff Grubb over on VentureBeat, we've shared some of his stuff recently. Uh, He's one of the games writers over there mentioned it takes two to tango in regards to sony's like purchases their strategy so if he i think i believe he cleared up that because there's a lot of confusion there i think he cleared it up that it didn't mean take two it didn't mean uh the game uh it takes two from ea which you know got heavy consideration for game of the year awards last year and actually won from the game awards but there is a trophy in resident evil 5 called it takes two to tango so a lot of people are taking that and speculating that Sony's going to buy Capcom next, which they have the money to do it, and I think a lot of that would make a lot of sense. Um, but Sony's, we're probably going to be talking about more acquisitions, both from Sony and from Microsoft, because they are, uh, they're looking to spend. Now, everyone 
is kind of looking at Nintendo and kind of curious of what Nintendo's going to do. You know, we always kind of, you know, look at Nintendo and it's like, I still see them as competition for Sony and Microsoft, but clearly they're more, they're off in kind of their own space more so than either Sony or Microsoft. Their their business plan is wildly different from either Sony or Microsoft, whereas there's a lot more synergy in Sony and Microsoft. They decided a couple of consoles ago that, you know what, you guys go do your thing. And, you know, yield. Uh, I've got an article here from Nintendo Life written by Dame, Damien McFerrin about, you know, Nintendo's response to all this. So, what if you could surmise or just kind of give a little summary, what what do you think Nintendo's response is to all this? <laughs> you guys crazy. Um, they're, they're probably just uh, going to be, uh, uh, what was it from Home Improvement? Was it Nelson? No. Oh, you mean what was the it? next door neighbor was um Oh god, um Wilson. Wilson, yeah. Wilson. Nintendo's Wilson, and they're just sticking their head over the fence going, Heidi. Hey neighbor. So the title of this article is Nintendo says it won't compete with Microsoft and Sony in an acquisitions arm race. Quote, Nintendo President Shuntaro Furukawa has stated that the company won't be looking to buy up external publishers and studios in the same way that Microsoft and Sony have. Microsoft caused shockwaves in the industry earlier this year by acquiring the publisher Activision for almost $70 billion. This week, Sony wrapped up a deal to purchase Destiny Studio Bungie for around $3.6 billion. These aggressive moves have caused many to speculate if Nintendo will look to make any acquisitions itself, but during Nintendo's investors' briefing, Furukawa shot down the idea. Our brand was built upon products crafted with dedication by our employees and having a large number of people who don't possess Nintendo DNA in our group would not be a plus to the company. Back in November, Furukawa revealed the plans to spend up to 100 billion yen to bolster Nintendo's internal development. It's clear that the company feels the best way to maintain its position is to invest in itself rather than purchase external entities and bring them into the fold. However, during the briefing, Furukawa did add that Nintendo isn't against acquisitions in principle, but only if they are necessary. A good example would be the purchase of Luigi's Mansion 3 developer Next Level Games, which trigger, which was triggered when the studio's major shareholders expressed an interest to sell off their shares. Speaking of Bloomberg, Tokyo-based consultant Sir Khan Toto added that he doesn't think Nintendo will look to purchase any studios or publishers. I really have a hard time imagining which of these big ones they could even be interested in buying. Nintendo will always stay Nintendo. The company has always relied on first-party games, and I don't see any reason why they that why they should change. I'm I'm going to throw this out there that I think that. While Nintendo necessarily isn't going to jump into what what is called an arms race between Sony and Microsoft, it would make sense for them to purchase some studios. Like, for instance, maybe they've tried and just this studio doesn't want to, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to sell just yet. Platinum Games. They have a very good relationship with Nintendo. Mad World, which is one of their first big games, was exclusive to to the Wii console. And then you also have Bayonetta now, which which is essentially an exclusive to the Nintendo family of consoles. So I think that Platinum Games as a whole would make sense as a studio for Nintendo to buy because, you know, also they typically deal in more mature games and that's kind of something that people have complained about Nintendo is that they don't have a lot of the mature games that necessarily adults with expendable cash really, really want to play. I also think that Nintendo would benefit from buying Square Enix or Capcom, which they could if they wanted to, but I just think that they're they could benefit from a lot in owning a lot of those IP. But again, Nintendo's going to Nintendo, and they feel comfortable with the position they're in. The Switch has sold extremely well. They have, you know, Breath of the Wild 2 coming out, so it doesn't seem like they're worried about this. I, I imagine you're not surprised with, with their response. 
No, I'm not. I mean, like we've talked about this, you know, several times and that, you know, Nintendo kind of got out of the, the console wars a couple of consoles ago and they have found their niche and that's kind of where they're going to stay. And, you know, as someone who grew up with Nintendo at first, I was kind of disappointed, but then kind of stood back and went, you know what? There is room in in the video game world where not everybody has to be the latest and greatest, you know? And, you know, Nintendo found their niche with the Wii. They've gone on with the Switch. And, you know, they're, they decided that they're not going to race Microsoft and Nintendo. We're going to take this off-ramp here. We're going to go over here where no one's playing. And that's where we're going to go. And, you know, I, I applaud them for that. Because, you know, I, I still like Nintendo. I don't own a Switch yet. I want to. But, you know, I, I applaud Nintendo for, you know, kind of just going, we're going to we're going this direction. Have at it, you two. So, so that comment right there where you say you want to own a Switch brings me to yes. another point where I think that the way Nintendo looks at it, they say, okay, well, if you're going to be a two-console household, you're more likely to own either an Xbox and a Switch or a PlayStation and a Switch than you are a PlayStation and an Xbox. And an Xbox. Because I think yeah. that so many people with disposable income grew up with with the NES, the Super NES. They were there for the, the console war between the Genesis and, and the Super Nintendo. So I think that there is a loyalty there that a lot of people, a lot of adults, 30-somethings, 40-somethings have to Nintendo. So I think that, and I could be really wrong about this. There could be numbers out there to disprove this. My belief is, is that in a two-console household, people are more likely to own a Switch as part of the equation than both Sony and Microsoft's products. So I, you know, I don't have the data to back that up. That's just kind of all how I feel about it. That a gut feeling, but so you'll we'll wrap up the show with one more topic here. And I told you we would do you know just one big show on on Bungie here, the purchase of Bungie. And well, we're at an hour and thirty, and we're making it happen. Yield. All there right. There was a countdown on Watch Mojo that came up on my scroll today on YouTube, where it was the ten most likely acquisitions of game studios in the future. So these are, according to Watch Mojo, what they feel are the most likely acquisitions of studios in the near future, or you know, maybe you know, a, a year out or so. So yield, I'm going to give you a name of a studio, and then I want you to give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I, I know that you you don't necessarily like all this cons- consolidation, but as a, taken from a view of a PlayStation gamer, you, you know, whether you think that this would be a smart purchase for PlayStation, and you know, if not for PlayStation, do you think it would be a better purchase for Microsoft or Nintendo? So. Um, okay. How about that? I'll read you a name, and then you say yay or nay to PlayStation, and if you feel like it would be better on another console, then give that as well. How about that? Okay. All right. So number 10 was Konami, and as we've talked about, Konami has IPs like Castlevania and Contra and Metal Gear Solid. They've also got Silent Hill and um, Tecmo Bowl back in the day, Blades of Steel, Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. Yep. So Back in the day, I mean, they, they've got licensing. Ah, uh, I would say that would be good. That would be, you know, especially with Contra, that would be another shooter that you could modernize. Um, the same thing with, 
I mean, really, any of their older games, you could modernize them, and people would probably flood to them. Castlevania, um, they've kind of kept that relevant with some games here and there lately. So I would say that would be a good one for Sony. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because those franchises like Silent Hill and Metal Gear Solid are more tied to Sony in the PlayStation ecosystem, whereas Contra and Castlevania are more tied to Nintendo. So it's, it's weird because NES, all yeah. those IPs almost should be split up, I feel. And again, Konami's not super worried about their internal studios so there's not like when you if you bought konami you would be buying a bunch of developers you'd have to staff up to use to, to use those ips so i'm less and less high on that one because i think there are better ways that they could spend their money uh number nine electronic well, yeah oh uh number nine electronic arts and so electronic arts is nowhere near the price that activision would get i think it, their valuation is above 30 something billion 36 billion baby or 36 billion maybe but not as expensive a purchase uh, as Activision. I think Microsoft could pull it off. I don't think Sony could because I don't think Sony is able to spend that much money or comfortable to spend that much money. But how do you feel about Electronic Arts going to uh, Sony? Initial reaction is no. And I know that they've got uh, kind of the, the market on the Star Wars games, but I just, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it'd be a good fit. Yeah, and it, I mean, I feel like Electronic Arts would fit better with Microsoft, but I also feel like they're better off just staying, they're so big that it's like, okay, you already got Activision, let's... let's. They're be- they're better to be their own entity. Yeah, because I would hate to lose Dead Space, but you've also got the sports franchise, which I'm assuming the sports franchise would stay multi-platform, because again, as we've discussed on the show... Well, it would have to. Yeah, the, yeah. The NFL's not going to let Microsoft or Sony just be like, okay, this is exclusive now. They want as much money as freaking possible. Number eight, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. So um, stuff like uh, Mortal Kombat and NetherRealm Studios. You've got the Rocksteady with uh, uh, you know their previous Batman Arkham games, but also the Suicide, Suicide Squad Suicide game Squad. that's coming out. Um, I think that uh, Warner – does Warner Brothers own Traveler's Tales, the, the Lego folk? Oh. Uh, I want to say yes. I think I've seen their logo. Yeah, I mean, some some of the games that pop up for them. I mean, you've got Mortal Kombat 11 and Justice 2 from NetherRealm. You've got Gotham Knights. You've got Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga, Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor. So, I mean, a lot, a lot of the Lego games on there, so... I mean, what you're getting really is, like, access to, like, the Harry Potter games as well as the DC Comics games, so. I don't know whether to say yay or nay. I would say that that kind of purchase would make more sense for Sony. But I can't, I I guess I want to stay, it almost feels like that would be a, it, it would, it would better suit a Nintendo. Although Legos is better money platform. But it wouldn't shock me to see Warner Brothers Studios go under uh, PlayStation umbrella. But see, I'm going to poo-poo a lot of these deals because there's one specific publisher that I would want them to buy. I'm thinking that they're at their, I would think it would be best for them to stay where they're at. Yeah. And I, I feel about the same way about this next company, which is Ubisoft, which of course they, um, the, the forever delayed Skull and Bones yield. 
yeah. you've also got uh, Beyond Good and Evil. You've got the Assassin's Creed series. They've got uh, they do um, the Ghost Recon. They series. also do the Division. They've got Far Cry. So I mean, that'd be Watch that'd be dogs. a big studio that Sony could buy, Microsoft it could buy. It would be a huge studio, but I think Ubisoft. I think Ubisoft's doing fine on their own. That they really don't need anybody. Yeah, I mean that's another studio where I think it would benefit Sony, but I really don't want Sony to buy them, to be honest. Or or Microsoft. No. Really. I just think that they need to be left alone to their own devices. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if if you'd have said this five years ago, maybe it might have been like, yeah, that that might not be bad. But Ubisoft lately, maybe ten years ago, Ubisoft lately has kind of hit their stride in the sense of. They they got away from spamming out game you know Assassin's Creed games every year and they kind of started pumping out really good individual series as they've got studios all over the world and everybody's doing their own thing so I think they're better off just staying themselves and not going underneath an umbrella. Yeah, number six is a studio that or a company that has been largely thrown out there when it comes to Sony and and being bought Square Enix, which gained you Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts, the they also did Marvel's Avengers, they did Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, there's a lot there. Square Enix Crystal Dynamics is rumored to be rumored to be working on another Tomb Raider game. So they're just some of the the crown jewels in in their arsenal, but I think the Square Enix makes a lot of sense. They've always had a good relationship with Sony. I think this would be a better buy for Sony than some of the other studios we've talked about previously. So, I mean, this one is one I would give the green light to, but there's another Japanese company that I feel would be better for Sony. I also feel like Square Enix would be a really good purchase for Nintendo, but, you know, we, we know how yeah, Nintendo feels it, about it. It, it. it would. It'd probably be better for Sony because Square Enix on some of their games tends to be a little more on the, I won't say, well, maybe it's wrong saying they're a little more on the mature side, but, you know, Nintendo kind of phrase from some of that, that Kingdom Hearts that would be great for Nintendo. Well, and Final Fantasy was first started on the Nintendo family consoles. It was on oh, the on SNES. The so yeah. that, I mean, when you think of Final Fantasy these days, because Final Fantasy 7 and a lot of the Final Fantasy games were so rooted on the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2, like, people sometimes, I think, forget that it was actually, the series was on the Nintendo. On the Nintendo. First. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that, that would be another strong game for them. Another strong game series. But no, I think Square Enix would make sense for a lot of people. Uh, five CD Projekt Red, no, stay away from that. And I'm not just saying that because of the issues that they had, like with the executives and stuff, and all the deception and bullshit when it when it comes to, um, Cyberpunk. Obviously, there's a talented studio of people who develop games there. I'm not, you know, and The Witcher obviously has great value, one of the most lauded game series of the last ten years. It spun out into a television series on Netflix, which I've never played the games at all, but I love the Netflix television series. It's fantastic. And, you know, there is some value in Cyberpunk. They just need to clean it up there and make sure that they are more open about the development of the game or just make sure to take better care of the game before launching it broken. But, I mean, there's there's value in CD Projekt Red. I just feel like that may be a studio that's better best served under Microsoft. But then again, also, they own good old games. Maybe that's another studio that should be more independent and on their own. Yeah, I... I don't know enough of what they've done other than the cyberpunk kind of debacle. It's, I mean, the Witcher really. Oh, okay. The Witcher. See, I never played the Witcher. So I, I really can't say, I really can't say yay or nay on that one. 
Remedy Entertainment is for. Obviously, Remedy famous for Quantum Break, Alan Wake. We've also got Control, big game, uh, caused a stir on the PlayStation last year. It was, it was a really good game. Uh, at least, you know, story was kind of bleh, but as far as like a fun action game, hell yeah, it was right there. I love the love the combat and everything, love the controls. But so Remedy, I'm shocked that Microsoft has never tried to buy Remedy, or at least if they have, it was Remedy saying, no, we don't want to be sold. We want to be independent. But a studio that brings, you know, that's kind of on this rise right now, their their popularity is gaining. They're, they're you know, they're getting more and more attention. I still feel like there's better places that Sony and could spend their money. And to me, it, 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 it makes more sense for Microsoft, but. That's what I was going to say. It almost feels like a Microsoft. It almost company. feels like their, their home has always been with Microsoft. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the Alan Wake deals and all that and how, how that launched on PC and the Xbox 360 and not for, for Sony. And a grant it, it's, you know, it's it's now come to the the PlayStation family consoles, but I don't know. It just feels like that's a, a a company that belongs with Xbox, if you know they were to be purchased. So, but yeah, I mean, a lot of value and great IP within that company. So, and they're 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 also it seems I think they're also partnering more and more with Epic Games. So maybe uh, Epic is the spot for them, and not necessarily Sony or, or Microsoft. Number three yield is Bloober Team, which we know are the ones who did The Medium, which is a favorite of Levi, also uh, did The Blair Witch Project. So I'm not, I haven't played any of Bloober Team's games, so it's kind of harder for me to say yay or nay on, but I mean, it's a smaller studio that seems to have a decent pedigree, so I would say that them being scooped up by, I, I can't poo-poo it because I feel like, you know, I feel like a, a purchase of, say, like, Square Enix or something like that by Sony would probably keep them from buying, like, many other purchases. Like, they're going to make one big purchase, and it's kind of like, okay, we're cooling down for a bit. But I feel like Bloober Team is one of those where they wouldn't prevent them. Like, if they bought Bloober Team, wouldn't prevent them from also making another purchase. So it's not like, oh, well, we only have enough money to buy Bloober Team, and that's all we're going to buy. I feel like that is a smaller studio that they would add to their arsenal a poor choice of words maybe in this, in this console war that's this ramping up, but I feel like this is a studio that wouldn't prevent them from buying another studio. So it's not like, oh, we can only buy one. It's going to be Bloober Team. So, I mean, I'm, I would be fine if they bought Bloober Team. It's just not the big sexy pick that I think would gain a lot of positive attention. I, I agree with that assessment because I haven't played any of their games either. So for me, you know, to be yay or nay, it is... I, I wouldn't know what I, I wouldn't know what I'd be saying if I said yay or nay. So your assessment, I agree. I'd be like, I'm cool with it, but I, I was kind of hoping for somebody else. I did, you know, so not not to not to not to dis Bloober team, but I think that there are you know other studios that would would bring more to to play. It'd be just you know, and who knows, Bloober team could maybe make fantastic games underneath the Sony label. It's just not the pick I want, to be honest. Yeah, there you go. That that's a. Great assessment. Number two, from software, of course, Bloodborne was suited to the PlayStation Four. You've got you know them doing a lot of Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. You've also got them coming out with Elden Ring, which is going to be multi-platform. So, in you know, from software has become one of those names in the in the video game industry that has just become almost kind of like a giant. I mean, it's not the size of Activision or EA, but when you look at their pedigree of games and their catalog of games, it's goddamn impressive yield. 
It is. I, I have to say that I've never played any of their games, but I, I haven't heard anything negative about them. So it would bolst, it would bolster their, um, and I'm going to use this in quotations, you know, the hardcore gamer, uh, market. Whereas, you know, your games are tough as nails. So. And you know, I'll be very open about this. Like, this purchasing spree entertains the shit out of me. Like, I love talk about talking about this stuff and, and posing all these theories and asking all the questions and just trying to speculate on all this. This stuff, like, this is fun for me. And I, honestly, what I want for Sony is to for them to be like, hey, we're going to buy this publisher, which we'll name them in a second. And then I want them to buy a smaller team. So, for me... My hopes would be they could say, "Hey, we're going to buy from software, and then we're also going to buy this publisher, and we're done. We're out." Like that—that is what I hope for. This because I'm—I don't—I'm not a Sony fanboy. I can respect Microsoft, and I also like what they're doing. I can just also, you know, recognize that the kind of games they're putting out are not the games that I necessarily want to play. But you know, I own a Switch, so it's not like I'm PlayStation or Death. Give me PlayStation or give me Death. But I, you know, have invested in every home console generation that Sony has put out. So I, you know, there is, you know, a sense there that I recognize that Sony's vision for gaming is, is it just clicks with me. So honestly, I would be really happy if Sony bought From Software and then the number one pick, which you know, like I said, we'll talk about here in a minute. So I'm, I'm at the opposite end where I, you see it as this is really detrimental to where I'm like, yes, yeah, Sony, buy this shit, and it's it's you know two di- two different uh, ways to look at it. Neither one's wrong. It's just kind of, I guess that. I'm taking something a little different from all this than a lot of other people are, or at least some other people are. I think that you see a lot of mixed feelings about all this in the community. You got the people that are gung-ho for it, and as soon as Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard, people are like, Sony, go, go, go. You got to get something. And then there's someone like you, and I think Joe Priestley is somebody else who's commented on this, where you just see all this is very negative to the video game industry. And you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. It's just kind of two different ways to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I'm... When it first started happening, I remember when Ninja Theory and Double Fine went to, you know, went to Microsoft. And I was like, you know, well, hey, good for them. You know, it sucks. We don't get their, you know, may not get their games, but good for them. A little more stability from smaller studios. But then as we started buying more and more and we started getting bigger and bigger studios, that's when I was kind of like, for for me, you know, as a fan of the industry, it was kind of like, Okay, we need to pump the brakes a little bit. This feels a little alarming. But like I said, that's just my point of view. I, 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 I can see why people are excited because, like you said, this is really going to start igniting the fanboy wars again. Yeah, and I don't necessarily want the fanboy wars, but as someone who owns a PlayStation 5, I want to see that Sony's vision for the future, that they're going to have the IPs and exclusives that are going to keep that community strong. And I feel like these acquisitions, why some people might look at them as you know in a negative way, I feel like these are all bids for PlayStation's future. And as a PlayStation consumer, someone who's invested in, in Sony and PlayStation, I feel like this is, inve- is Sony investing in themselves and in you know the people who buy PlayStations. I also feel like it's not necessarily whenever Sony makes a purchase, I don't necessarily think it's Sony taking a shot at Microsoft. I see it as Sony investing in Sony's future. So I, I think that I also look at it in that way. But Yield, if you had to guess what the number one acquisition uh, on this Watch Mojo list would be, which company, which which publisher and developer do you think it would be? 
my guess would be uh, Rockstar. Take two. No. no. So that would be a huge purchase, but I also think – I mean, uh, I think that this this list was built on the likelihood because you also don't see Sega on there, which – why Nintendo hasn't bought Sega is, or tried. Yeah, that's I mean. kind of a shock. Um, but uh, also Kojima Productions not on here. Uh, but no, Capcom. Really? Oh, for Mega Man. Well, I mean, not just for Mega Man, but for Street Fighter, for Devil May Cry, for Resident Evil, for Monster Hunter. There's, I mean, Sony owns the the big Evo um, fighting game competition, which Street Fighter is huge at, and Street Fighter V was exclusive to the PlayStation 4, uh, all iterations of it. So Sony and Capcom have a really good relationship. And, I mean, there is speculation that Capcom is the, you know, when we're talking about purchases of Sony, there's a lot of speculation out there that Capcom is number one on their list, and it's imminent as to, you know, not if it happens, but when it's going to happen. So, you only got a business strategy to pitch to you, sir, and I want you to tell me if Sony bought Capcom, if you think this would be a good business strategy. All right. Okay. So, we're going to talk about the main big franchises here, and I think when it comes to Monster Hunter, very successful franchise, huge on Nintendo consoles. So, I think that Sony's play here is to keep that series multi-platform and put it on PC, put it on PlayStation, put it on Switch, and even put it on Xbox um, to help boost sales and say, hey, we're keeping this multi-platform. Help the player base. Yeah, and also Devil May Cry is, I think, another series they should keep multi-platform. Mega Man should stay multi-platform because I feel like that's... If you if you make that series exclusive, it's not going to sell super well, so it only behooves you to keep it on Xbox, on Nintendo, especially since Micro- or Mega Man is so tied to Nintendo historically. And... I think that if you're going to make any two franchise exclusive, you make Street Fighter exclusive. If you can only make one, I think Street Fighter is that series you make exclusive because, again, they that would give them then if you know with Bungie they would well it's not exclusive, but I think within their portfolio of exclusives you would have Gran Turismo, which is a racing game, and then they've got a lot of other. Uh, they've got like the dreams and Little Big Planet over there at Mina Molecule, a lot of community driven stuff. But then there's uh, most of their portfolio is story driven, single player, cinematic games. This would give them an exclusive and probably the biggest fighting game franchise of all time. And you put that exclusive to your console. I think that's a huge feather in your cap, especially since you ha- you own Evo already. So if you can only make one thing exclusive to kind of get around antitrust laws, I think you make it. You make a Street Fighter, yeah. It makes the most sense. But I also think that they, if they can get away with it, I think they should make Resident Evil exclusive to Sony. So you keep three big franchises, um, and even like, um, oh, what's his name? Ace Attorney. Oh, God. Uh, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. That's another Capcom thing. You keep that multi-platform because that's, you know, had a pretty big... That sells big on Nintendo. So you keep that. You keep Mega Man. You keep Monster Hunter. You keep Devil May Cry. You do a lot of these things multi-platform so it doesn't look like you're trying to shut everything off from the world and just wall up in Sony. But I think you got to keep either both or just um, both of Resident Evil and Street Fighter uh, re- um, exclusive. Draw more people to your console, uh, or at the very least, you got to keep Street Fighter exclusive. So, um, yeah, yield. How do you feel about that? That sounds really good. I've actually put a decent amount of thought in this. I'm at work every day, and I'm like, well, what what would make most sense? You you have, and it, that does make sense if you own. A a you know a fighting tournament, 
than having one of the biggest games in your tournament exclusive to your console is just a feather in your cap. And like you said, on top of that, then you would actually have a, a you know, a fighting game, you know, that's exclusive to your console, you know, because you've already got, you know, your racing and your story driven and all that. So, and making all the other games multi-platform, you know, like you said, it, it, it avoids the possibility of, you know, we're trying to shut everybody out. You know, we're going to keep keep the games where they're their most popular, but we're keeping this one. I It makes sense. I think that's a good nightcap for our, our discussion of acquisitions and Bungie in particular. But yeah, um, I wanted to build a lot of this episode around that because obviously that's huge news. And likely, I think, as of right now, the biggest purchase or acquisition that Sony has made as far as, you know, video game developers and publishers. Uh, I wish Tricky here was here to talk about it because I definitely think he could add to this conversation. But, you know, up there in New York, they they calling him to the post, so he's got to be elsewhere. But before we get out of here, I did want to get – we do have a couple community questions yield that I wanted to, to ask before we get out of here. So are you ready to gear up and, and chat with the community a little bit? Let's do it. All right. So Rick – Winner of last year's Be Legit competition, crushing everyone, even making Tricky look like a fool. Rick asks, what game or two, if any, would they have to announce for VR2 to make you both interested? So, uh, do you want to go ahead and take this and then I'll answer once you field it? I don't know if there's a specific game that would have to be announced for me to go on buying VR. I think it would have to be you know, a type of game. I know the, uh, oh, I can't think off the top of my head. There was a space shooter that was kind of on the old, that was on um, the original VR. Not that, you know, you know what I'm saying. And I was like, ooh, that game looks interesting. Um, Moss was another one that I would have bought had I owned a VR. So you, they would have to make games one that don't look like a tech demo and and two that fit my gaming wheelhouse to make me go I want to play that. Uh you let me ask you a question it was the name of the game in question Stardust Odyssey? No, I don't think it was. Oh man, I can't think of it. Yeah. I know Tricky wouldn't play it cuz I had a giant spider in the trailer and I'm like, "Whoop, that nix is tricky." No, I I mean I would I, you know, there are. I would like to think that if I owned a PSVR, that I would be courageous enough to play Resident Evil Seven on it. But I know that that made that game could be potentially very terrifying in first person. So, getting sucked into that world in a house full of psychopaths, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not that brave. I would like to think I would play it, but I can't say for sure. No, the thing about PSVR is, it's it is a rather expensive purchase on top of another expensive purchase, and. You know, who knows? I mean, one of Ashley's kids, he bought himself an Oculus. And, you know, maybe if I tried it, I would, I would love it. And I'd be like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. I would love this. I just – I'm not necessarily against the games they've released or there's been no games that I, I would ever want to play. You know, like Yield, I'm you know I'm there for Moss. If I had a PSVR, I would most definitely own Moss. But I think it's the technology itself where I'm just not that interested in it. And I'm definitely not interested in paying, you know, $400 up, up front, you know, in lieu of any – discounts i don't know i would want to make that monetary investment just for psvr now 
you know, you look at a franchise like they're bringing Horizon to PSVR 2, and, you know, if there are any games, you know, maybe a Sly Cooper game would be another game that would be kind of cool for me and, and enticing for me, but if Horizon doesn't do it, I don't know if there's anything that will. Uh, Yield, are there any franchises you can think of that they could bring to VR or put in VR that would be particularly fun in kind of that first person view to make you actually feel like you're in the world? No. <laughs> Not really. Fair enough. I mean, I think the thing, Rick, is that, I mean, Sony didn't necessarily support v- PSVR as much as I, you know, a lot of people think that they should. But then again, it's like the technology is, you know, you don't want to say it's just a um, a gimmick, but I, I think that Yield and I are still kind of trepidation, trepidatious on the technology where we just kind of want to game the old school way, just to have controllers and just sit yeah. on a TV. So, um, like like I said, I've, I've I've my buddy has one. I've I've played a couple of games, tried them out, you know, and I've been like, oh wow, these are pretty cool, but. My buddy really doesn't play it all that much, and I I am of, you know, you're not supposed to game in VR for long periods of time, and I like to game in big chunks. So, and like you said, the the price is the other thing. Dropping another four hundred dollars for for something that I might buy a game or two a year just seems really hard to do or it seems darn near impossible to do. Yep. Next question comes from David B. What TV or movies would you like to see made into a game? Mine would be an open world Toontown like we saw in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and my phone went off and a Lego Back to the Future game. Uh, Rick, resp- Ooh, I'd be all I'd be all for a Lego Back to yeah, the Future. Yeah, it seems like you and Rick, because Rick says Lego Back to the Future is just crying to be made, and it's perfect fit to the Lego style. And I responded to Rick saying also Lego Ghostbusters, to which Rick said, "Oh, absolutely." So, yield is there a television series or video game property, or a television series or movie that you particularly like that you think would be great for a video game adaptation? <laughs> You know, no, because we've kind of already hit those genres in movies and stuff. So, off top of my head, I cannot think of one. You know, you've are they've already hit on Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. So, well, yeah, we've had Ghostbusters games. Um, what we're calling for is a Lego Ghostbusters, but you, we've had Ghostbusters games in the past, and you know, Jaws is one of my favorite movies, and we've had, um, you know, we've got Man Eater, which is you know, Jaws, but it's it just like Jaws. Another one of my favorite movies is The Exorcist, but that I don't think that game fits well, and I don't think that would be a good video game. So, um, when I really think about it, um, I, I I look at something like Nightmare Before Christmas, and I don't know if that would make sense for a video game world. I know that they've had the Nightmare Before Christmas world within, say, Kingdom Hearts, but I love those characters so much, and I love Halloween Town and all like the different trees to all the different like holiday universes where it'd be cool to explore those in a video game but i don't know if like almost a licensed third person action game built within that universe also feels like it would come out with a like a really crappy licensed game so 
that's the best I can think of now. I mean, Lego Ghostbusters is probably the best possible answer for me. But then I look at other things and, you know, Pacific Rim seems like a a series that would be perfect for video games. In fact, they actually made a Pacific Rim video game, but I don't think it's that great. So, yeah, I mean, I would like to see something set within the Nightmare Before Christmas franchise, something more fleshed out than what it was in Kingdom Hearts. But, you know, I don't actually know if that would turn out to be a good video game, to be honest. I think it, it it would be hard to do. Yeah, I just feel like it would turn out to be like a bargain bin crappy license game, to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, I'd be totally down for Lego Ghostbusters. Oh, I absolutely. I, I'd give them my money right now. You can never have enough Ghostbusters. That is true. All right, Yield. We have eclipsed the two-hour mark, you know, eclipsed going back there to our love of Star Wars and looking forward to some of the Star Wars games that will be coming out. Looking forward to in, in the next year, two years. But uh, before we can talk about any more of that, let's go ahead and give some shout outs and, and wrap it up for this week. I'm going to have you start. All right. Um, shout out to Alex for putting together the show notes and recording tonight. Shout out to Tricky, who's out doing his tricky business. Um, shout out to the Pimps and the Madams of the Hordom for downloading, listening, interacting with us. Um, shout out to uh, Nitro, the Brain, and Homer for our Deep Rock Galactic Fridays that we've kind of been doing lately. Uh, a shout out to uh, uh, Joe and Travis, Alex, Gareth, Homer for uh, doing uh, Rocket League Thursday. That was kind of fun where we were just random teams. For some reason, the blue team always sucked. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, blue is a much better color than orange, but hey, I've got an orange lightsaber color right now in my my lightsaber crystal is orange in Jedi Fallen Order, so you know, orange is still a pretty cool color and maybe that's maybe that's the yeah. luck that the uh the good fortune that the orange side needed. And um That'll do me this week. Give a shout out to the listeners, the fans, the community, the fuel to fire that is trophy horse. Thank you all for your continued support of the show here into 2022. It's the entire reason we do this. It's why we have so much fun with it, because we have a great community behind us. Always love the discussion. Always love the interaction. So thank you all again for doing what you do and contributing to our fantastic community. Give a shout out to Yield for coming on here and talking about this huge purchase to Sony. Uh, But Tricky could not be here this week. So uh, hopefully we want to have Tricky back on next week's show. Well, we're going to have to because Yield is going to be watching the Super Bowl. So... Again, it it can't just be just me. I can't just be sitting here talking for an hour. That's going to be a real boring show. So, Yield, I do want to say good luck to the Bengals this next week. Hopefully Thank we you. get the Bengals and not the Bungles in the Super Bowl. That's what I'm hoping for. And I want to second you second you on the Rocket League Fun Thursday. A shout out to uh, Joe and Travis, who jo- friends of Homer's who joined us. A shout out to Homer as well and Gareth for some uh, 3v3 private matches. A ton of fun. So, Thanks for everyone for bringing their A game. And uh, Travis was out there, score, like you know, saying that he was really rusty, but he was out there scoring lots of goals. And then you've got Joe, who was stopping like three, was like had three or four saves per game. So both of them just jumped into the mix and did really well. Yeah, they did. Uh, last but not least, I want to give a shout out to my loving and awesome girlfriend Ashley. And that is going to be the end of my shout outs. We'll wrap it up here like a sushi roll. Uh, gonna get it out of here for this week. Thank you all for listening to episode 511 of Trophy Yours, and we hope to have you back next week for 512. Good luck to all the Bengals fans. G- go get them, who day, and uh, 
Until next week, happy trophy hunting. See ya. song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash Even Philippines. 